Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate his love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoyed today's message. It is spring. Uh, if you are visiting again, we're so glad you're here. Happy long weekend to you. Uh, trust that you, yeah, Victor does well for you and you enjoy your time down here. I know this is often a time of year we have a number of our family away, but also a time where we have our extended family visit and many of you, uh, some of you here at least, I know this is your holiday church, your church away, home away from home, so it's great to have you in our midst. We're in the middle of a preaching series at the moment uh, in, uh, called Rise and Shine. Rise and Shine and uh, our key verse comes from Isaiah 60, if you have a Bible and you wanted to turn there, then feel free to do that. If not, we'll put it on the screen. But um, Isaiah 60 gave a bit of context, some historical background from Isaiah last week, so I won't revisit that again. But our key verse here in Isaiah 60, verse 1, where it says, Arise, Jerusalem. It's basically a way of saying God's people. Okay, contextualize that. Arise, Jerusalem. Let your light shine. For all the nations to see. Let your light shine for all the nations to see. For the glory of the Lord is shining upon you. Darkness as black as night may cover the nations of the earth, but on the other hand, the glory of the Lord shines over you. All the nations will come to your light. Whose light is it? It's your light, but it's His light. It's the glory, His glory shines. And it's your light that you've got to let shine. So there's this incredible partnership and participation going on here. Many nations will come to your light. In fact, mighty kings will come to see your radiance. Look and see. Everyone's coming home. Your sons are coming from distant lands. Your little daughters will be carried home. Your eyes will shine. Your hearts will thrill with joy, gladness, for merchants from around the world will come to you, etc., etc., etc. Basically, the whole chapter uh, then goes on to explain a whole lot of the blessings that are upon God's community as they let their light shine, as God promises to shine upon His people, as they therefore let that light shine from them. The rest of the chapter is dedicated to explaining some of the incredible blessings and benefits that follow in that shining. And so as we've been setting this sort of theme for spring, rise and shine, we are encouraging ourselves in the Lord to rise and shine. Pretty simple, right? Um, Last week, as I said, I explained a little bit about Isaiah and looked at a couple of other key passages in Isaiah where he talks about a shining servant. Okay, we often hear, or we may be familiar with some of Isaiah's passages about a suffering servant, but in chapter 42, 49, and others, he talks about a shining servant. He talks about a servant one day coming, a Messiah, okay, who will shine God's light. And one of those scriptures is quoted by a guy called Simeon at Christmas, okay, kind of. Luke chapter 2, Jesus is brought to the temple as a baby, and a guy there called Simeon takes baby Jesus in his arms, and he says this in Luke 2. It says, Simeon was there. When he took the child in his arms, he praised God and saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you've promised, because I have seen your salvation. How many of you know what Jesus means? Yeshua, the Lord saves, okay? Christmas, the Lord saves. He will save his people. So he's literally holding Jesus saying, I have seen the Lord saves. 
Okay, I've seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all the people. He is a light to reveal God to the world or to the nations, and he's the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon is holding Jesus and saying, he is the light for the nations. Okay, And what he's doing there is alluding to Isaiah 42, which promises this shining servant will come, a light to the nations. He quotes that verse. And so it's no surprise that 30-something years later, Jesus comes along in John chapter 8 and says of himself, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Yet what I also mentioned last week, and this to me is quite profound, is that Simeon's not the only person to quote this scripture. Simeon quotes it of Jesus, but in the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas also quote this scripture about themselves. Simeon's holding baby Jesus, saying, he is the light in fulfillment of the Isaiah prophecy. And yet years later, we see Paul and Barnabas quoting the same scripture about themselves. It says this in Acts 13, 47. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, declaring, It was necessary we first preach the word of God to you, Jewish people. But since you've rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we will now go to the nations. Why? For the Lord gave us this command when he said, quote, I have made you a light to the Gentiles. So they're taking the same scripture and saying, this was spoken about us. What Simeon said was spoken about Jesus. He is the light for the world. Now the apostles say, that same verse is speaking about us. Because why? What did Jesus say in Matthew 5? He not only said, I am the light of the world, Jesus also said, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And so it's this incredible thing. Watching the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy is really fun because it never happens like you expect. Okay? This is why as you read the, um, Paul, he sometimes talk about the mystery that God had hidden for long ages past. It was like all what God wanted to do is written in the Old Testament, but it was a mystery. It was kind of concealed and revealed because the way it all came about was not what people were expecting. Okay, it's like, whoa, that was a surprise. And so this is one of them. It's like this prophecy that sounds like it's about one man actually becomes part of an entire community where we are, God's people, become the light of the world. Amen? Isn't that amazing? So we're not just called to reflect God's light. We are actually called to be light. That is who we are. When we encourage you to rise and shine, we're not asking anything other than you just be yourself. Because you are light. You are the light of the world. So let you be you, okay? Let you know who you are and let you be who you are because your job is to basically be yourself and uh, that includes rising and shining because that's who you are. You are the light of the world. So last week, I started looking at five practical ways we can let ourselves shine. The very fact that he has to say, let this happen, even Jesus said, let your light shine. You are the light, so get shining, means that there is a participation involved. It's not an automatic thing. It is a participation involved of us really rising to be, rising uh, to be who we are called to be. And so I wanted to share five things in my part of the series, and I shared three of them last week, working backwards. E, to rise and shine means to extend yourself. E, Jesus said, you are the light of the world, so get out from under the basket, boy. Get out from under the basket, Get on top of the table and extend yourself. 
How do we let our light shine? Sometimes it means stepping out of our comfort zones, stepping up onto a table, okay, and doing something we may never have done before, getting out from under the basket, getting out from our comfort zones and extending ourselves. Jesus says that, get out from the basket, stand on the table and let other people see your light shine. There are many truths revealed in the scripture and believing that God is, does not speak with a forked tongue but is consistent because truth is consistent. At times, the scripture appears contradictory but we need to carefully assess it to understand it's actually complementary. So even in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, when you give, truth number one, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing so that other people won't see you giving. Then he says, let your light shine so other people will see you're working. Good one, Jesus. <laughs> Are we meant to hide what we're doing or shine what we're doing? Which one is it? It's not contradictory. These things are complementary because they're speaking here of an issue of the heart. We don't do things to shine a light on ourselves. It's not about ourselves. You know, Jesus said when they get applause, yeah, that's awesome, you're so generous, well done. That's it, that's all the reward they get. Nothing left in eternity to reward them. The reward of men is all they get. Okay, because the motive there is to make people see me. However, on this side, we do want our light to shine because our motive is pointing people towards the source of our light when our motive is to let Jesus know. So it's actually fine for you to talk about, in certain contexts, depending on your motive, how generous you might be. It's not like that we totally shut that down. When we know our heart's pure, we can actually set a good example and a role model for other people and let that light shine, okay? Not contradictory, complementary. Jesus says, get out on the table, let your light shine so that other people can see the good stuff you do, okay? Because we do want them to see God in us. Hello? Do you want people to see God in you? Gee, it, sounds like, it sounds like spring out there. Get, get some bottles of water in here. Let's, uh, <coughs> come and get it all out of your system. Let's all, uh, um, we want to let our light shine. You know, the book of Hebrews says, make every effort to live at peace with people and to be holy because without holiness, no one will see God. And I, I want to live a holy life so that you see God in me. Okay? I want to live holy so people see God. I want to live in a way that shows what God is like. So we become, as it was, Jesus with skin on. And sometimes to do that, we just have to extend ourselves and get out of our comfort zone. The second point I looked at was the word N, uh, which is that to let your light shine, you need to notice things. Because all the introverts turn off in the first point. <gasps> extend, extend. You're asking me to get out of my comfort zone. You're killing me. This is for you. Introverts are awesome because they notice things. But sometimes when you stand back and you observe, you can notice things that other people don't notice. And I think this is a skill that all of us should develop because God's word shines, like the psalm says, not just a lamp that lights out our whole path that everyone can see. Your word is a light to my path. And it's also a lamp to my feet. Your light shines brightly so that everyone can see it. Yet at times your light shines so that only I can see what's right in front of me. And sometimes the shining lights we can, we can shine brightly, a bit like I'm doing now. Chad's getting everyone's attention, right? Good one. Shining bright to touch many people, but there's people here today that only you will touch because you will notice them 
and like a little torch that just shines specifically on someone, you can notice someone and shine God's light into their life that no one else may notice today. We want to be a shining people, notice the ones and the twos. So Jesus can have a crowd of people around him and he notices a guy up a tree and he notices lepers that everyone else wants to ignore. Okay, on his way to Jerusalem, crowds of people around him, he notices a blind man, Bartimaeus, crying out, and he spends time to notice the one. While he's still busy shining his light for the masses, he notices the one. That's a way we can let our light shine. I was a big one, and I stood for initiate. How do we let our light shine? Take initiative. Be intentional. It's another sort of synonymous word there. Be intentional in letting your light shine. When you notice something, as you extend yourself, take initiative. Being a person of initiative means to be front-footed. It means to notice a gap and step into it. It means to do things without being told because I understand that I am a light and this is just what I do. I shine. I initiate brightness wherever I go. I love what Alex says. He says, everywhere I go, I know that today people's day is going to be better because I rocked up. People's, people are going to have a, be a, have a better day because I'm there. Now, you imagine if you walked into your home environment, family get-togethers, if you walked to church, uh, school, um, what's it called, work tomorrow or the next day, what's it called? Um, if you, don't talk about that on a long weekend. If you walked into your environments and you said, today... I'm going to make a difference. And I'm not, not because I'm going to be asked to, but I'm going to initiate improvement today. I'm going, to initiate, I'm going to make this world a better place because I choose to. And we see this word initiative used twice in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, both in the same chapter. And the first is on the issue of generosity. The church in Philippi gave to the struggling people in Jerusalem on their own initiative. Paul's rocking up there, talking to them, preaching. So, oh, there's a prophecy about a famine coming down south. And the people in that church are like, we'll give to it. Pass the buckets right now. He didn't ask for an offering. It said they, they wanted to give out of their own initiative. That, I mean, that, there you go. That, that is initiating generosity. Later on in that same chapter, he talks about Titus. Uh, and he says, listen, Titus wants to come and visit you, Corinthians. And he does so not because I asked him. He's coming on his own initiative. He knows you, he loves you, he's heard about you, and he's like, I want to go and visit them. I am going to go, not wait for Paul to tell me, I'm going to go and initiate and go make contact with these people. So last week we looked at one of my favourite stories in the Old Testament of Jonathan and an armour bearer when all the armies are moping around under a tree, their enemies are over the hill, and Joshua's not satisfied with sitting around moping around. He says, did I just say Joshua? Jonathan He's not satisfied with moping around. He says, you know what? I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to give something a go. I'm going to do something. And he initiated contact and God brought about an incredible thing. Initiative is a really, really powerful thing. And it's one of the ways we can make our light shine. And when you understand who you are, initiative becomes the most natural and normal thing. Because when you understand you're a son and not a slave... You know, a slave thinks like, I'm only going to do what the master says. Not going to do any more, not going to do any less. Check in at nine, check out at five. If the boss tells me to do it, that's what I'll do. And I'm not going to step a foot out of line because they're just a slave. And if they're not watching me, I won't do any. But if they're watching me now, I'll start to work. Now, that's a slave. A son says, I own the business. And I'm investing in this business today, whether dad's watching or not, because it's my family business. I'm investing. 
And so we have this great story, and and, uh, Aaron opened up this series talking about Joshua and Caleb when they came out of Egypt, and they're ready to go into the promised land, and 10 spies come back and say, no, we can't do it. Joshua and Caleb came back and said, yes, we can, because we're not slaves anymore, we're sons. See, the whole community said, we are nothing but a miserable bunch of grasshoppers, and we're going to get trampled to death if we go over there. Why did they think that about themselves? Because for generations, they'd lived in Egypt where they had slave masters tell them every day, you're useless, you're pathetic, you're a, you're a useless little grasshopper, I'm going to crush you under my feet, boy. And for generations, they were spoken, that identity was spoken over them so that even though God performed incredible signs and wonders and even though God said to them, you're my son, you are my firstborn son, that's the whole reason of the Passover, you're my firstborn Even though he said to them, you're my treasured possession. You're not slaves anymore. You're my treasured son. They still didn't believe it when they faced a challenge. And so Joyce Meyer and these preachers for years have told us it took Israel one day to get out of Egypt. And it took 40 years to get Egypt out of them. Yeah? Because they kept seeing themselves as as slaves. One of my favorite stories, it's very nuanced. Many of us miss it. But you know that verse where Moses says, where Moses says, Moses is the most humble man to ever have lived? You know that verse? That's, that's in Numbers 12 or 11, where Miriam has an issue with Moses marrying a black chick. He marries a Cushite girl from northern Africa, and Miriam, the sister, gets a bee in her bonnet about that. And she says, Moses do you think you're too good for us? Do you think you're the only one that hears God? That's where it says, no, 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 Moses was very humble. You see, when Moses married a North African girl, he married upper class because the Hebrews were the slave class. They were the scum of the earth. They had nothing. They had no one. They had no infrastructure, no government, no economy, no jobs. They're all unemployed, okay? No land, no history, no legacy, no nothing. He marries up a class and Miriam comes and goes, what do you think? You can't find a girl within our own kind? You think you're better than us marrying up? No, no, no. Moses just knew who he was. He knows he's not a slave. He knows his future's not in slavery. He's, he's grown up in a royal family. He had Egypt, as it were, taken out of him. He had that humility to go, you know what? My identity is not tied in slavery. I don't care what family background I've come from. I can, as it were, marry up, okay? I can, and, and I'm doing that humbly because I just know who I am. No, I'm a son. When you're a son, you can take initiative because you know dad loves you and you're serving him well. It's an amazing thing when they came out of the promise, when they came out of that 40 years, finally, It said the day they stepped out into the promised land, the manna stopped falling. Remember reading that? It's like for 40 years, God spoon-fed them like slaves, like babies. Here's your slop for the day. (laughs) Here's manna. I'm just going to spoon-feed you, spoon-feed you. The moment they came into the promised land, God now treated them like adults where he stopped feeding them. He said, I'm going to give you vineyards and you're going to have to plant them. You're going to have to set your alarm in the the morning. 
You're going to have to fertilise it. You're going to have to build your own homes. You're going to have to make this land and conquer it and demonstrate the nature of God who conquers and cultivates and makes something better than what it was before. I've treated you like a baby. I've treated you like a slave because that's what you wanted all these years. I'm just going to feed you slop every day. Okay, no worries. But now that's over now. You've got to make it happen for yourself. You've got to walk into your promises by taking initiative and demonstrating that. And so this is how we let our, life shine, our light shine. Because I tell you what, if you go into your workplace, your school, your family, and you start saying, I'll solve that problem. I can do something about that. I can leave this place better than what I found it. That is going to shine a light that's going to be very unique for people to see. Amen? And it can be the littlest thing. Going to a cafe, going to a cafe having your coffee, taking the dishes back to the bench or whatever so that the staff don't have... You're just doing something. You're just saying, I took... What's her name? Zoe. <laughs> number four. To a number four <laughs> cafe the other day. We're playing with the toys. I'm like, before we leave, we're going to tidy this thing up and make it look better than what we came, all right? We're going to make this business... We're going to shine our light here and make this business look better. We weren't asked to. We're just like, we're going to let God's light shine. You can take initiative. Big things and little things to initiate is an incredible way to shine your light. Number four, H. One of the best ways, another way, that we can let our light shine. How do we let our light shine? Is to know that everywhere you go, you are playing host to a guest of honour. Everywhere you go, you are carrying an invisible but powerful person called Holy Spirit. Everywhere you go where you're working with someone and they hurt their back and you're there and you're aware that you've got Holy Spirit on you. And as a host of the Holy Spirit, he's right here. I can invite him into this situation because I am aware of him. I'm aware that I carry something supernatural with me everywhere I go. Arise, shine, for the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Isaiah 60 verse 1. Next chapter, 61 verse 1. For the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The first chapter is plural. The second chapter is singular. The Lord has risen upon y'all. You as a community. Next chapter, the Spirit of the Lord has risen upon me. And we see this beautiful picture when Jesus gets baptized of the Holy Spirit coming on him like a dove and resting on him. And just imagine that, how we would carry ourselves if we were conscious of Holy Spirit being with us everywhere we went on our shoulder. And that doesn't mean we tiptoe through life don't disturb the dove. <laughs> Shh. <laughs> you know, don't. No, no, no. Jesus has the dove come on him, and the next thing he's been tempted by the devil for 40 days. Next thing he's in a temple kicking over tables, cracking a whip, and yelling at people. You know, he's not tiptoeing through life. The, the Holy Spirit's not a brainless bird that's going to be scared off at the very first sign of movement. Okay. No, it's the awareness that Holy Spirit is right there. So sometimes we find ourselves saying, God, just speak louder, speak louder. I just want to hear you, Lord, speak louder. It's like I wonder if he's, the whisper of his voice is right there. And maybe it's not an issue of God speaking louder, 
for us to hear. Maybe it's an issue of us taking off our headphones, turning off our iPhone, closing up the newspaper, switching off the TV, and just saying, he's right there. I'm aware of the presence of God himself right there, right with me. Not out there in the heavens, you know, trying to break through heaven to get to God. Nah. Wrong side of history, people. Wrong side of history. Wrong side of the cross. This side of the cross, heaven's open. He has come. We're not going to get to God. God came to get to us, okay? And he's right here, hosting Holy Spirit. Where no matter where you are, you can just turn to him and go, how are you going? This is what you do when you host a VIP. When we have a guest speaker here at church or when we, you have people at your home, you're on alert. You're just aware of what's happening in the room when you're a host, aren't you? You're aware like you just want to touch base. You don't want to cram people, but you also want to know, you doing okay? You, every, everything okay, guys? We all, all okay? You know, when you're playing host to people, when we have a guest speaker here, I'm often, you know, sometimes we assign a host to someone just to make sure, do you want a water? Do you want a coffee? You doing okay? You know where the bathroom is? Are you ready to leave now? Just to make touch base, not harass, but just to touch base. And, you know, we can do that with the Holy Spirit. We're hosting Him. Where any time of the day, you can just go, how you doing? Doing okay? Anything you want me to know? I don't think you need to ask him if he wants a coffee. <laughs> but you can at least touch base with him and say, how are you going? I don't know, I've never read the book and, and, and we can have a million opinions in this room as to Benny Hinn and his legacy and what he's known for. But for me, the title of the book, Good Morning Holy Spirit, if, when he leaves this planet, that's what I'll remember Benny Hinn for. I'm going to choose to remember that. But he wrote a book called Good Morning Holy Spirit where he just brought this understanding that the Holy Spirit's a person, not an impersonal force, but a person that's right there. That You wake up in the morning and go, hi, Good morning. Didn't leave me overnight, did you? Don't need to call down the heavens to have you come. Don't need to get, go to church to get Holy Spirit. No, I bring him with me when I come. Because he's right here. Chatting with a friend just last night. And they've come from a similar church background to us. Where the, some of you might call this a Pentecostal church or whatever. That, I, don't, I don't mind. And they've come from a similar, similar church background. They've now just moved to a far more conservative type of church situation. And they're in a home group. And, uh, and in the home group, they were talking about the Holy Spirit. And someone who's grown up Anglican all her life said, you know what I think we can learn from the Pentecostals? My friend's sitting there going, well, <laughs> undercover, you know. <laughs> and, and she said, I really think what they do well is they're aware of Holy Spirit. And she thought, what a beautiful moment. I don't know the type of church what reputation you want your church community to have, but that is probably a good one. That actually I'm part of a community that's aware of God. That actually God's not out there, He's here, and we're just consciously aware of who God is and that He never leaves us and that He's right there. We are hosting Holy Spirit everywhere we go. And it's as simple as this, right now. Why don't you just close your eyes? This is going to take 10 seconds. Close your eyes. Holy Spirit, you're right with me right now on my shoulder. Is there anything you want to whisper into my ear? 
to anything you'd like me to know. Okay. Now, generally, I don't know how you go in hearing God's voice, but generally what I've found over the years is the very quickest thing that comes is normally the God thing. If it lines up with Scripture and what we know of the character of God, if you just hear the quickest thing when you ask a question, the quickest thing that comes, because spirit speed is often faster than natural speed, the, the first quickest thing you heard was probably, without asking every one of you, probably God speaking. You, he's right there. Give him a chance to speak. How many of you know or have an inkling that God just whispered something to you? Does anyone give me a show of hands? Let me see. I'm going to say about a third, third of people here. You can do that any time. Holy Spirit, I want to hear your voice. Is there anything you want me to say? Is there anything you want me to know? No? Okay, moving on. Do it through the day. You are hosting Holy Spirit. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He is always with you. Be conscious that God is with you. Amen? And this is, now, now Chad, what does this have to do with shining our light before others? Because that's very self-centered, what you just said. Holy Spirit's with me. Okay, what about me? Holy Spirit's with me. No. Shining your light before others. As we walk into a space, we're aware that we're not there on our own. The Holy Spirit is right there with us to heal, to speak, to whisper something about the room we've just gone into, to whisper something to us about the situation we've just encountered, to whisper something about the person we might be meeting. Sometimes, and this might sound a bit weirdly spiritual to some of you, fine, judge me on social media, um, <laughs> shake hands with someone and just consciously from your spirit, just go, Holy Spirit, thank you for touching this person right now. It's like I'm laying hands on them. Okay, ooh, Pentecostal style, yeah? I'm like, laying hands on this person, and the Holy Spirit touched this person. And this is just something you can, because I know Holy Spirit's with me, and we can do that. We can shine His light everywhere we go, and it doesn't have to be dramatic. It can be the most subtle, salt ministry where it just happens, okay? But you are a host of Holy Spirit. The most intellectually honest thing you can do is acknowledge the reality of the spirit realm. I'm going to say that again. One of my favourite verses in the whole Bible is in 2 Timothy 4, where Paul says, keep your head. It's his way of saying, think, boy. Don't throw common sense out the window. Use your brain. God's given it to you. Keep your head. Yet one of the most intellectually honest things we can do is acknowledge that there is a world beyond what we can see. One of the most intellectually honest things we can do is say there is a real spirit realm that is active, that is alive and well, and I may not always hear it, I may not always see it, I may not always feel it, but I know that world is real and I'm going to consciously play host to it. Host Holy Spirit. Amen. Next week, I'm going to look at the last... No, no, no. <laughs> the other thing I really love about the Bible... And we'll finish with this. The other thing I really love with the Bible is that some of the advice is deeply mystical. Hosting the invisible dove. Mm, bit mystical, right? Hosting the invisible presence. Yet some of the Bible's advice and wisdom is deeply practical. It is so practical, it's almost embarrassing. And that's what this first point is. What does it mean to rise and shine? The last point comes from Proverbs 15 verse 30, which simply says this, a cheerful look brings joy to the heart. 
Good news makes for good health. A cheerful look brings joy to the heart of other people. You know one of the best ways you can bring joy to people? You know one of the best ways you can bring light and shine God's goodness in it? You know the best way you can light up a room? Just put a smile on your doll. Just smile. Just tell your face what what is true in your spirit, all right? Tell your face. Some people walk around like they've been baptised in lemon juice. <laughs> it's like, no, tell your, tell your face how good God is. We sing songs, we remind ourselves, and if it doesn't show on our face, something's not quite working there, okay? Put a smile on your doll. It's one of the easiest ways to light up a room, and you can do it once, one smile at a time. We can change the world, okay? It's very practical advice, but a cheerful face, brings joy to the heart of other people. And I want to tell you what, there's a lot of people who need your joy. There's a lot of people who need hope. There's a lot of people that need joy. And sometimes the best thing you can do is get your eyes off the phone and actually smile at the person you're sitting next to on the bus. Smile at the person you're walking down the street. Smile at the person in line with you at the post office, okay? Actually just put a smile on your dial and you can change someone's day like that. There's a Psychology Today article It says this, scientists and spiritual teachers alike all agree the simple act of smiling can transform you and the world around you. Current research and common sense shows us that a smile is contagious. Proven, proven, proven. Oh, you suckers, you're all just giving in. This is so easy, so easy. It lifts our mood as well as the mood of those around us. It makes us appear more attractive to others. That's my creepy smile. (laughs) And it can even lengthen our lives. Smiling activates the release of neuropeptides that work towards fighting off stress. The feel-good neurotransmitters, dopamine, endorphins and serotonin are all released when a smile flashes across your face. This not only relaxes your body, it can lower your heart rate and blood pressure. The endorphins also act as a natural pain reliever. Go to the dentist. They'll give you laughing gas, all right? There's a reason for that. And the serotonin release brought on by your smile serves as an antidepressant or mood lifter. A study published in the Journal of Neuropsychologica, which we all subscribe to, I'm sure, reported that seeing an attractive smiling face activates your orbifrontal cortex, the region in your brain that processes sensory rewards. Okay, what does that mean? This suggests that when you look at a person smiling you actually feel rewarded. Oh, that's good. Look at this, this is good for me. It also explains the 2011 findings by researchers at the Face Research Laboratory. Did you know there was such a thing? I'm going to set up a lab and we're going to research faces. All right, that's what I want to do. They found that both men, uh, what did they do? Subjects were asked to rate smiling and attractiveness. Smiling person, attractive person, okay? They found that both men and women were more attracted to images of people who made eye contact and smiled than those who didn't. How many of you know, uh, anecdotal evidence, you just know that's true. Look me in the eye, have a smile. Beautiful. It makes makes all the difference. Much better than swiping. The part of your brain that is responsible for your facial expression of smiling when happy uh, resides in the cingulate cortex, an unconscious automatic response area. It's unconscious, unconsciously responds. 
In a Swedish study, subjects were shown pictures of several emotions, joy, anger, fear, surprise. When the picture of someone smiling was presented, the researchers asked the subjects to frown. Okay, as soon as you see a smile, I want you to frown, okay? Instead, they found that the facial expressions went directly to imitating the smiles that they saw. It took a conscious effort to turn that smile upside down. So if you're smiling at someone, it's likely that they can't help but smile back, unless you do creepy smile. If they don't smile back, they're probably making a conscious effort not to. Looking at the bigger picture, every time you smile at someone, their brain coaxes them to return the favour. Every time you smile, you start a chain reaction. That person smiles, someone else sees them, that person smiles, all of a sudden, you've lit up a room. You've lit a candle, you've, uh, you've lit up the room, okay? You are creating a symbiotic relationship that allows both of you to release feel-good chemicals in your brain, activate reward centers, make you both more attractive, and increase the chances of you both living longer and healthier lives. There, there is nothing more attractive as we see more and more Botox in our community. There is nothing more beautiful than an old lady's face or an old man's face that has wrinkles from years of smiling and laughing. Come on. Absolutely beautiful. And you have the ability to light up a room with a smile, light up the world with a simple smile. The Bible says so. Research just backs it up. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au. And of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day.